I want to talk to you this morning about the best supporting role, the best supporting role, Acts chapter 8, verse 26. We're in a series on realignment through the book of Acts to get our lives realigned to what the early church really is supposed to look like and how it's supposed to look today. Um, but the best supporting role, Acts chapter 8, verse 26, what does it take to make a movie? Uh, I love movies. I'm a movie guy. I, I've watched all kinds of movies. And uh, think about all the people that it takes, you know, when the credits roll, and you just think about, you know, it's like an hour later. If you're a Marvel fan, you had to wait forever to get the last uh, thing in these superhero movies. They put this last trailer at the end of these movies. You got to like wait for 20 minutes just to get to the end. You say, oh my gosh, look at all the people it takes to make one movie. It's kind of amazing. You need producers who raise the funds and create the conditions for filming. You need a director who has the highest authority on the film, higher and fire, and kind of has a creative overview of the vision. Uh, you need a film crew, a cast. Then you need hundreds more of assistants, screenwriters, managers, accountants, publicists, technicians, operators, designers, artists, choreographers, builders, prop makers, stylists, special effects, animators, editors, musicians, and it goes on and on and on. That's a lot. You know, and today, all those people... Uh, those poor people, only the actors really ever get famous. You ever know, it's like nobody knows who was the technician on the sound guy or the boom, who's holding the booms uh, for the mic. Nobody knows those people. We all know the actors. And even beyond that, someone we never see in the film is the director. And often the success of that film is at the director and the producer's feet. This, even the actors, you know, they have to choose the best actors, and the actors have to listen to whatever the director says. If they want to cut a scene or change how they inflect their voice or how they do or where they go or we're going to just delete this scene altogether, it's really the director, the unseen person behind it, that really determines how good this movie is going to be. We never see him but he's always behind every scene, making it be the best story it can be. So here's the question for you and for me today. What if you weren't the main character in your story? What if the director wanted you to be the best supporting actor or actress? What if he wanted you to play a different role? What if you weren't the main character in your story? But what if that was the most rewarding role you could play? to support the lead and doing whatever the director says do. Here's the thing. I believe God is writing the best story ever told. Heaven's going to tell, and the book of Acts is a, a book that doesn't have an ending chapter. Do you know that? It just continues to go because I believe God is still writing this book today. He's still writing story after story after story. And here's the thing. I'm not the main character, and you're not the main character. There's one who's the main character, and his name is Jesus, right? Amen. And he's the best leading actor there's ever been. He's the main character. And God is crafting and writing this story, and you and I get to be a part of it. But God is so good. He's so great. He's so wonderful. He has the best role for you to play. The problem is sometimes we live in a me-centered world. We think the story revolves around us, and each day, here's what happens. I get up, I have a plan of what I'm going to do, where I'm going to go. I've got my calendar, and I tell my wife, it's not on Google Calendar. It doesn't exist in my life. It's got to be throughout the day, so forgive me if I miss something, because if I don't write it on my calendar, that's it. It's, I have it planned out for the rest of the year. I've got a calendar. I've got a schedule. I've got to do. I've got to pick the kids up at a certain time. Then I go by the store, and i got to get this, and we forgot that, and i got to go back to tractor supply, and i get to the house. I'm going to fix my lawnmower, and i got to do this today, because on Thursday, this is going to happen. And they got to take the kids to dance and the ball and da 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 da. That's our life. It's a me-centered life. It's what I've got to get done and do this week. 
But what if your schedule doesn't fit into his script? Can he rewrite your story? Can at any moment, can he break scene, cut, retake, let's do this over differently. Let's take a different take on this scene that I was going to have today. I know the screen, the writers wrote it this way, but the director has all the authority to say, you know what, writers, I don't like how that was written. Let's rewrite today. Let's rewrite this story and do it differently. And we're going to have this guy come in, and we're going to have this guy say this. And he takes that authority. And here's the question, do I... Have I given God permission to be the director of my life? Have I allowed him to set my scene? Have I allowed him to take my schedule? Because what if my schedule is not in his script? Would I even hear him if he said, cut? And would I trust him enough to obey? You see, the book of Acts has many characters we think are the main characters, like the apostle Paul, Peter, and John. But behind it were hundreds and even thousands of people. You've got people like Luke and Timothy and Titus and Priscilla and Aquila. And then you've got all the people that were actually in the churches that made all this wonderful story happen. But the most important person in this book called Acts is God the Father, the chief director. Then you have the Holy Spirit, who's the producer of every single thing the early church did. This story is about people discovering the saving power of God's Son, Jesus Christ. It's the greatest story ever told, but you and I have a part to play. And so today, we're doing a casting call. Are you ready? Look with me in Acts chapter 8. I didn't, think, I didn't hear anybody say they're ready. Are you ready? This casting call. We're taking auditions. Here we go. Acts chapter 8, verse 26. I'm going to talk to you about giving up the leading role in your life. Giving up the leading role in your life. Here we are in Acts chapter 8, verse 26. The Holy Spirit has empowered the early church. He's taking the gospel from Jerusalem to Judea, Judea and then Samaria. And he's going to go to the ends of the earth now. Philip is one of these first seven deacons. There's the 12 apostles. Then there's Philip. He's one of the seven servants, the first seven servants, kind of like the early church board. Stephen's been killed. Philip has now taken the gospel to Samaria. I've seen a great revival in Samaria, by the way. Man, demons are cast out, healings and miracles, and people are getting called, uh, you know, changing their whole life. And he's there having revival. And this gospel, though, is about to take a turn. The director is about to say, cut, new scene. Acts chapter 8, verse 26. But an angel of the Lord spoke to Philip, saying, get up and go south to the road that descends from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert road. So he got up and went, and there was an Ethiopian eunuch, a court official of Candace, that's the title, kind of like Pharaoh, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all of her treasure, and he'd come to Jerusalem to worship. He was returning and sitting in his chariot, reading the prophet Isaiah. Then the spirit said to Philip, go up and join this chariot. Philip ran up, heard him reading Isaiah the prophet, and said, do you understand what you're reading? And he said, well, how can I understand unless someone guides me? He invited Philip to come up and sit with him. And now the passage of Scripture which he was reading was this. He was led as a sheep to slaughter, and as a lamb before its shears is silent. So he does not open his mouth, and humiliation, his judgment was taken away. Who will relate his generation? For his life is removed from this earth. The eunuch answered Philip and said, Please tell me, of whom does the prophet say this, himself or someone else? And Philip opened his mouth, and beginning from this Scripture, he preached Jesus to him. And they went along the road and came to some water. The eunuch said, look, water, what prevents me from being baptized? And Philip said, if you believe with all your heart, you may. 
And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. He ordered his chariot to stop, and they both went down to the water, and Philip, as well as his eunuch, he baptized him. And when he came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord snatched Philip away, and the eunuch no longer saw him. But he went on his way rejoicing. But Philip found himself at Azotus, and he passed through and kept preaching the gospel to all the cities until he came to Caesarea. I'm going to give you some three characters, three individuals in this story. The first is the protagonist. That's a fancy way of saying the main character. The main character in this section of this book, the leading role here, let's say in this scene, is the protagonist. Now we know this story is about Jesus, but we're zeroing in on this guy in this scene. And he's the star. We're going to follow him through this series of trials and tribulations. And at the end, he's going to find a new place. And this is the Ethiopian eunuch. Now this guy, he is from uh, the area south of Egypt. Uh, okay, it's not like the Ethiopia we have today. This is ancient Ethiopia. Somewhere south of Egypt is a very large region. He's the chief financial officer of this queen, her title Candace. We don't have her name here, but she, he, she's kind of the leader. He's her uh, CFO. He handles all the royal treasury. And apparently, uh, at that time, he had had an issue. Now, he was, uh, the Bible says he was a eunuch, so he was a castrated man, which was very common. We don't have that today, but, you know, a castrated man. He, uh, they did that in female courts. If you work for the queen or that royal harem, that was a thing. But these men uh, were men of high stature, very wealthy, powerful, influential, wise, and knowledgeable men. This is an upper-class guy. He worked for the cabinet. Let's say he's kind of the cabinet member to the president. And he had a struggle in his life. Something in his pagan life had said, I think I need to find something else. And maybe perhaps in his day he converted to Judaism in the country that he was in. Maybe he was trying to go to synagogue. Something said, I need to find the one true God. And so he converted. He was searching. He had all this money and power, but he was leaving this pagan practice to go find answers. And we find him on the road to Jerusalem to search for the one true God. So he was searching. Number two, he was unsatisfied. But when he got there, see, eunuchs in Jerusalem, they couldn't, in the temple, they could not go in. That was something against Jewish custom. You could not do that to yourself. It was a pagan practice. And so he had to stay outside in the court of the Gentiles as if he wasn't allowed to go into the inner courts. There was a court for women, a court for men, and a court for priests. And so he finds himself in the outer courts unable to find answers. Whatever happens in that day, this is right after the persecution. There's no Christians around. He missed the revival, unfortunately. Uh, All the churches disperse. So he goes. He doesn't find what he's looking for. Still hadn't found what he's looking for, right? He was still searching. Couldn't find it. And so he turns back and goes back home. But before he turns back, he says, at least I'll buy something. Scrolls for the Bible were very, very, very expensive in that time. Very, very few people had one, but he purchased one. It just so happened, by divine providence, he purchased the scroll of Isaiah, which is filled with messianic prophecies. He purchased it, and on the road back home, searching and unsatisfied, he hadn't found what he was looking for in his high status. He hadn't found it in power. He hadn't found it in wealth. He hadn't found it in giving up his life to have a family. He hadn't found it in his fame and fortune. But he hadn't found it even in his new religion. So now he's desperate. 
He's desperate even to take advice from a hitchhiker on the side of the road who's dusty traveler on a backcountry road somewhere in the middle of nowhere. And he is yearning. You ever been in that place in your life where you're just yearning for answers? God, you've got to move. You've got to do something in my life. I need a word today. I need somebody. Just send me somebody to help me. I don't care who it is. It's a, a homeless man on the side of the road. If it's the right word, I'll know it's you, God, and I'll take it. He was welcome to the broken. That's our church. Welcome to the broken, meaning you've given up. You've gotten to the end of self. Broken people are not just poor people and mentally disturbed people. They're not just people who, who have lost all their money. Poor in spirit means to be at the end of self. And you're looking for something that truly satisfies not your life but your soul. He wanted soul satisfaction. And man, God loves people like that. He couldn't deal with him when he was fame and fortune and influential and power. But when he got down to a dirty, dusty road and was willing to take some advice from a poor, pitiful, homeless man, he didn't know who Philip was. God said, I'm about to use this man. I'm about to do something spectacular in this man's life because I love the poor in spirit. Remember what Jesus said, blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed if you mourn, mourning over your sin for you'll be comforted. Blessed are the gentle for you'll inherit the earth. That's not the prideful, but the gentle you'll inherit the earth. The new earth that I'm going to build, you'll get it. And if you're hungry and thirsty for true righteousness, you'll be satisfied. So that Jesus would go on and say, come to me all you are weary, heavy laden. I will give you rest. What kind of rest? Rest for your souls. Man, that's God. So he says, guess what? Hey, angels, I got a new scene. I think it's crafting here. I see this guy. He's really struggling, and he's about to be ready for me to do something else. He's given up being in control of his life. He wants me to take the directing. Let's zoom in. Change scene. Roll credit. Roll, roll film. So here's the director. That's the main character. Let's see what the director's doing. Let's kind of zoom out. Let's go up to heaven for a second. We find God this best, best award-winning director and producer, here he is. He's dreaming up a way to make this best story. He's hatching a plan to change somebody's life. He's orchestrating some surprise encounters. He wants to build the best uh, ending because he specializes in spiritual symphonies. He specializes in majestic masterpieces. And he looks for seekers who want to be satisfied. Why? Because this story is really about his son, Jesus. And let me tell you something, parents. If you had a child who had given up their life for somebody else, but that somebody else did not know it, wouldn't you want them to know it? Man, wouldn't you want them to know, my kid died for you and gave up their life for you. Why? I want you to know this because I want, to live you to, I want you to live your life worthy of my child's sacrifice. I want you to know what my kid did for you so it will change your life and you'll praise my kid for what he's done. God was jealous for this man's worship, for his son's glory. And that's why he's writing this story. This film is dedicated to his son and loving memory of Jesus Christ, Savior of the world. So he wants everyone to know this story. Even Colossians 1.26 says that this is this mystery 
that's been hidden from the past ages. It was like we had a, a movie, part one was the Old Testament, and really we didn't kind of have a clue what was going on. And then we had part two, uh, film two, we saw that this suffering servant's son came to die. And then that film ended, and we're like, what now? How's anybody going to know this? Now we're in movie three. And he says, I'm raising up a church that's going to tell everyone and wrap this whole thing up in the most beautiful trilogy we've ever seen. Star Wars ain't got nothing on this story. Man, this is the best story ever told. And he finds this Ethiopian surgeon. Look, I want you to just look at this and look what he does. This is awesome. He causes the man, here's the first part, he causes the man to be bothered and wants to buy the scroll. Could have been any scroll, but he picked the scroll of Isaiah. That's divine providence. Maybe he shuffled it around and made sure that scroll was on top or something. Then guess what? He says, dispatches an angel. Then he sends an angel. Go tell Philip. Wake him up. He's in the middle of revival. Shake him up. Tell him at noon tomorrow, get on that old dusty road that nobody's on. And in the middle of nowhere, get there on that road. Then he says, Philip goes. He sends Philip. Philip goes down this dusty back road at a certain time, at the right place, at the right time. And he says, now, Holy Spirit, go tell him. He says, maybe he sees one chariot, two chariots tumbleweed. I don't know. He sees different things. Why in the world am I here? The Holy Spirit, next one. Next one. Run next to that one. And the chariot rolls on by, and Philip starts a light jog, and as he starts that light jog, then Philip understands why this is all for. He jumps in the carriage. He sees that God has ordained this man to be reading the exact right passage at the right time, and it's all about Jesus. And he sees this man and he saves him, or Jesus saves him. He fills him with the Holy Spirit and as he baptizes him in water. And then as he comes up out of the water immediately, then the Holy Spirit snatches Philip. And this word is the same word we say for rapture. And he snatches him up and transported him. You know, this is before Star Trek and teleportation. And he teleports this guy 18 miles away up north to another city where Philip was going to be originally. He did all of that for one man. Just one man, just one person. He left a whole revival going on in Samaria where you think, well, that's a lot of people. That's, so, that's where it's important. He said, but just for one man, I'll dispatch angels. I'll send my Holy Spirit. I'll move mountains just for one man. Just because I want every person to know I am jealous for my son's glory. Don't you think God wants every person to know? This isn't about you. This isn't about me. But God will move mountains so people know about his son. He'll dispatch angels. He'll zap people from 18 miles away and put them somewhere else. Just because of his son. He wanted this man to know that his son's work was so good as is to make his life good enough. His son's work was so satisfying that it could satisfy even this man's soul. I want you to know about my son. Welcome to the story. Welcome to the broken. The next part is the guide. In every movie, in every movie, there's always this supporting actor. There's an Academy Award for this. It's called the Best Supporting Actor, a Best Supporting Role. In 1976, you had the guy named uh, Burgess Meredith. You remember this? Mickey. And the boxing story, Rocky, oh, Mickey, you know, I love those Rocky movies. And Mickey's the guy right there. Wouldn't be Rocky without Mick, you know, right there beside him, cheering him on. Every story's got to have a Mick behind it. Or maybe you know this one. In uh, 1984, Pat Morita won it for being Mr. Miyagi and the Karate Kid. Can you imagine Karate Kid without Mr. Miyagi? It just wouldn't be the same. I mean, it just would wax on, wax off. You got to have that in the movie. And there's got to be a, and he won Best Supporting Actor for that. Or uh, if you're into the modern day, you've got Lord of the Rings and you've got Gandalf the Grey. 
you know, who is helping Frodo get there. These are called mentors or confidence or guides. They're people who take other people under their wing. And every great narrating, every great story, every great trilogy has these characters. And they pass on knowledge and help set people on a path. Sometimes they can even be called a, a friend or an ally uh, or a sidekick. That people who take people at their lowest moments and say, this story is not about me. But I can win best supporting actor in this moment. You can win Best Supporting Actor in somebody's life. It doesn't have to be all about you. What if the best role you could play in this film called Life would be to be the best award-winning, Oscar-winning actress or actor who is there to champion on somebody else's story? Why? Because it's not about you. It's not even about this Ethiopian eunuch. It's all about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. What if... In God's casting call, he's looking for Phillips, who will leave their own story where they think they're most important. But God, I'm, I'm a successful evangelist. I've got a revival breaking out here. Why would I ever go to a dusty desert role just to make a difference in one person's life? What about the hundreds and thousands that are breaking out in revival right here? I've got small groups to do, churches to build, curriculum to write, teachers to train, people to baptize. I've got all kinds. Don't, don't you know my schedule, God? Don't you know? Send somebody else for something like that. I've got to get kids to ball practice. I've got to get kids to dance. I've got to mow my lawn because it's supposed to rain this weekend. Don't you know what I got to do? You see, we're in the middle of our own story. We're writing our own movie. We're not involved with what God is doing. And there's a casting call today. Alan Redpath, was, I love his preaching, is a man who's passed away now, but he wrote, God does not waste the great and power of his spirit on those who want it simply for their own sake, to be more holy or good or gifted. His great task, though, is to carry on the work for which Jesus sacrificed his throne and his life. This is the redemption of a fallen humanity. This story is why he gave his spirit. He did not give the Holy Spirit to us to have good church services. He did not even give the Holy Spirit to us so we could speak in tongues and see signs and wonders or cast out demons. That's just the after effects or the overflow. But he gave the Holy Spirit so we could make Jesus known to every creature the gospel could be preached. He's looking for a casting call for people to walk by faith. You see, Philip didn't know why the angel and the Holy Spirit told him to do those things. In fact, you could think, oh, God, how could this be your will? But like Abraham, Philip began to walk out by faith. I don't know if it's just in the middle of the service one night. He just dropped the mic and said, all right, guys, God says I'm done. And he walks off the stage. I don't know if he got up in the middle of the night and said, I was supposed to do a bunch of stuff today, but God says start walking down this old dusty road. I have no idea what I'm going to see down here. But he began to do it. And then he began to listen. Holy Spirit, why am I here? What did you want me to do this for? Why did I leave my schedule? Why did I press pause in my daily routine? God, speak to me, Holy Spirit. Your servant's listening. And as he began to listen, the Holy Spirit prompted him at the right moment, at the right time. You see, the angel spoke, and Philip began to walk. Then the Spirit spoke, and Philip began to run. He ran upside that chariot, and as the man spoke, Philip began to answer it says that he, simply, he didn't have a schedule. He didn't know what to say. He didn't have the memory verses pre-wrote. He didn't have a curriculum. He didn't have a pastor's podcast there. It says that he opened his mouth. He just opened his mouth. I believe the Holy Spirit began to speak through Philip. 
I don't know what, I, half the time and people I interact with, I don't know what I'm going to say in counseling sessions, but in the back of my mind, I'm saying, God, tell me what to speak. Then you just open your mouth and let the Holy Spirit begin to guide and lead you. Someone comes at you and, and, and that moment of opportunity happens in Walmart or to a neighbor or to a friend and you're like, I don't have the verses memorized. They don't care about verses being memorized. They don't care if it's verse 37 or verse 39. They just want someone to give them hope, someone to encourage them, someone to show them Jesus. And you can do that by meeting them where they are. He spoke into this man's life right where he was. This is the verse I met. This is where I met in my knowledge of God. And so as the church, he says, let me just take you from here and take you to where Jesus is. Let me just show you Jesus in your life. Let me tell you that an angel came and told me to come to you. Let me tell you that the Holy Spirit said, this is the chariot. Let me tell you how Jesus, God's son, died for you. And even though you were rejected in that religion and you can't find your satisfaction in money and fame and fortune and your family life and you're trying all the things by self-works, but let me tell you, works never satisfy. Flesh can never please God. But if you repent and believe in your heart that Jesus Christ is Lord, that he died for you, that he was raised for you, he's coming back for you. You can be saved. You can receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Let me tell you something, sir, ma'am, you're good enough because Jesus was good enough. You are, you can be satisfied in your soul because there's nothing like the satisfaction of Jesus. This man found what he was looking for. There was no longer barriers to God's grace. That in Ephesians, he says that Christ himself became our peace and broke down the barrier of the dividing wall. This man was cut off from what he was looking to do in his life. He cut off his family. He cut off his uh, fame and fortune by going up north. He, cut off, he was cut off from religion and acceptance into this new Jewish lifestyle, but he was no longer cut off, but he was accepted. You see, it wasn't his past or his position any longer that kept him away from God. Jesus is all who are thirsty come. And how does he know he was accepted? Tradition tells us that the moment that he came out of that water, the Holy Spirit fell on him just like it fell on him with the hundred, that fell on the 120, just like it fell in the day of Pentecost, just like it fell on the Samaritans with Philip, that he was filled with the Holy Spirit with physical evidence, and he walked out of that water full of joy, ready to go into a new destination. And guess what? Philip was gone. Why? Because it wasn't about Philip. He put Philip back into the next scene. And this wasn't on Philip to keep this man saved. It wasn't on Philip to do anything but just to say, God's got you from here. Will you give up the leading role in your life? Let me tell you a quick story before we close. In 2012, uh, I was not able to go to sleep at night. And then I felt the Lord put someone's name on my heart. Over and over again, I kept hearing his name. I couldn't go to sleep, couldn't go to sleep. It was a man who I'd worked with four years prior. I told this to our uh, discovery class a few uh, months ago. But I couldn't get this man's name. And it was four, four years ago, I worked with this guy. And so I'm like, I'm, this is a long time ago. Okay, well, God, I'll pray for him. In the morning, I couldn't get him off my head, out of my heart and head again. And I just began to pray for him. And I said, I got, I got so bothered, I had to call him. I didn't have his number. I, don't, I, don't, I hadn't seen him in four years. So I called the place where he worked, and they left a message for him to call me back because they couldn't legally give me his number. And I'm like, this is going to look weird. I'm going to be this weird, crazy guy calling you four years later just saying, hey, I don't even know, I don't know what I'm going to say to you, this guy. I don't know why I'm calling him. So he finally calls me back. I call him and say, hey, man, I was just checking in and just 
you know, he wasn't a Christian. And so I just said, hey, uh, this is Heath. We worked together four years ago. I just don't, I don't know why I'm calling you, but just, uh, I just want to see how what's going on. And begin to share. And I just, man, I've just been praying for you. And he said, oh, okay. And he says, well, actually, he was in a town or two away where he lived. And he said, actually, in the town that you're in, my son is going to college there. And I said, oh, really? Well, I, I help, I partner with this local college ministry in town. I'm very close to them. And so I'd love for me, if you would let me give, give him his name and number. He's on campus. And he said, okay, yeah. And so within a day, two days, this young man showed up at our campus ministry house. I don't know why, but he felt like he was supposed to. This is not normal. These kids don't just show up to church, okay? You know, on your own, you're in college, right? He showed up, made a connection. I got the kid's number. I took him out to lunch. I said, hey, man, you don't know me. I just met him at, a, I think it was like a, a Five Guys, you know, hamburger joint. Bought him lunch and just said, hey, just going to pour in your life and just tell him who I was. And I knew his dad and yada, yada. And he was great about it. And he said, you know, actually, I told him where I pastored. And he said, actually, this summer I stayed down the road from your church. I said, really? I said, well, we had a block party down there. And we went on every single house. Maybe they got you. He said, actually, no, I happened to not be home that day. I, I, didn't, I saw that there was something going on, but I didn't get to go. And I said, wow, that's crazy. And then I pushed him into our campus ministry, and I, years later I look back and I, I can look at this story. You see, God saw this young man, and he said, there's an evangelistic crusade going down the road from his house, and he said, let's put that block party there. And my evangelism team went by and knocked on the door. He didn't answer. He wasn't home. So he missed it. And God said, let me see. Who do I know that can get this kid to a local church? Rewind. Four years ago, his dad worked with a guy who became a pastor. Let's wake that guy up in the middle of the night, have him call him, get him to have lunch with him, get his phone number, get him connected to that local ministry, and then boom, now I've made the connection. God is writing the best story. And he is willing and looking for people who will be best supporting actors and actresses. People who he can wake up in the middle of the night and say, hey, there's somebody's son or daughter that needs you. There's someone you're going to see on the road today. Even Chuck Swindoll, he wrote, he said, God's placed you where he's placed no one else. No one else in the world has the same relationships you have. No one will stand in the same grocery store line exactly at the same moment you do. No one else will come across a hungering diplomat in the desert exactly at the same time as you. Will you give up the leading role in your life? Does God have authority to direct our lives? And would we hear him if he did? See, Jesus said, when the Spirit comes, He'll guide you into all truth. He's not going to speak on His own initiative, but whatever He hears, He'll speak and He'll tell you. John 16, He's looking for people to say, speak, Holy Spirit. Your servant is listening. Let me give you one more story. I'm going to close. Why is this important? Why is this important? Because Christianity is not all about us. It's all about Him, and it's all about them. It's not about me. It's all about Him. And it's all about them. You see, in 1857, J. Hudson Taylor was one of the most famous missionaries to go to China. He went to China, and there in China, much hardship and many, many, many difficulties. He's got great biographies written about him. He met a man named Mr. Nyi. 
NYI, Mr. Nee. He converted, Mr. Nee converted, and he's there at Hudson's church in the middle of nowhere in China. And he says, well, Hudson, how long have you had the glad tidings in England? That's where he was from. Mr. Nee asked unexpectedly, so the missionary is caught off guard. He was ashamed to tell him. So he vaguely replied, it's been several hundred years since we've had the gospel in England. What? exclaimed Mr. Nee in astonishment. Several hundred years? You've had the gospel in your country for seven, several hundred years? How is it possible that you've known about Jesus so long and have just now come to tell us? My father sought the truth for more than 20 years. 20 years he continued steadfastly searching for truth, and he died without finding it. Oh, why didn't you come sooner? That was the cry from people in China. How is it that you know so much about Jesus and you're not willing to tell someone who's searching for truth? Would you bow your heads and your hearts with me this morning? Lord, help us to give up the leading role in our life. Father, I know the best story sometimes for us can be to be these award-winning, best supporting actresses and actors, best supporting characters. God, that as you craft a beautiful, wonderful story, you are searching for the thirsty, for the hungry, for the broken. I'm going to give two calls this morning. The first is this. Maybe you're like that Ethiopian man. You're tired of power and control that hasn't satisfied, family hasn't satisfied, or the lack thereof. It's not ever in your job, it's not in your career, it's not in your money, your time, your talent, all those things. You're soul searching. You're unsatisfied. You know there's more to this life. There's something inside of you that tells you there's more to this life that you're not experiencing, and your soul is hungering and thirsting out for God. And I want you to know God is willing to move heaven and earth. He got you here today. For those who are maybe listening online, He's speaking to you right where you are. He's crafting things. He's working out a wonderful masterpiece. He's writing the most beautiful spiritual symphony of what He wants to do with your life. God loves you that much. He's jealous that you know about His Son. He's willing to move heaven and earth for you. He loves you with an everlasting love. That's how much He loves you. That's how much He wants you to know His Son loves you. If you're willing to give up your life and come to the end of self, God can save you and fill you with the Holy Spirit. You'll receive joy that's unspeakable and full of glory. You'll receive an identity, a place in His kingdom. You'll have rewards in eternity. But most importantly, you'll know Him. You'll know Him in the depths of your soul. You'll know Him. He'll satisfy that longing. He'll fill that void. He'll take that place of emptiness and He'll make it full. And He just says, all who are thirsty, come. Listen to me this morning. Lord, if you are here today and you know you're not at the right place with God, I don't care if you've been in church for years, if you've been water, I don't care what religious things you've done, how much you've served, how much you've given, how nice of a person or moral of a person you are. Do you have Jesus' spirit in the depths of your soul? The Bible says just repent and believe. You believe with your whole heart, you can receive. That's number one. Number two is this, Christian. 
Maybe you and I are like Philip. We've got a whole thing. We love God. We serve God. We believe in God. We try to do our best. But can God rewrite your story? And in a moment, God say, drop it. Drive down the road. And in a moment, can God say, stop and turn here? And in a moment, God speak to you. Turn off the busy and change your schedule. Rewrite the script for someone who doesn't know Jesus. God's looking. He's, he's looking, church. He's looking for an American church. It's not caught up in the doctrines and religions, the programs and this and that, but a spirit-filled church who's baptized in the Holy Spirit and sensitive to the leading of the Holy Spirit will say, yes, Lord, you can use me. Yes, Lord, I'm listening. I can be busy. I can have a schedule. It's not about not having things to do. It's about being sensitive to the leading of the Holy Spirit and cultivating a life that says, I'm not in control of today. God, you can do whatever you want to do with my day. I give this state to you.